Great, Sarah, thank you uh, very much for reading. Do uh, keep that passage open in front of you. We're going to look at it over these next uh, few moments. Can I pray for us as we do? This is what uh, God says through the prophet Isaiah. He says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Uh, Lord God, our Father, we thank you for that promise from your word. We thank you that when your word goes out, uh, it does what you plan. It achieves the things uh, that you have set out for it to do. And we pray that that would be our experience uh, here this evening as we uh, sit under your word, as it waters our hearts. We pray that it would find uh, good soil and that it would bear good fruit uh, for the gospel and for the glory of our God. Amen. Great. Uh, there's a strange pleasure, isn't there, to be had from having a sort of sneak preview into somebody else's private life, I think. You might not want to miss it, but I'm sure all of you uh, know what I'm talking about. Uh, just the other week, uh, there was uh, football. The world of football was mourning the uh, death of Graham Taylor, as some of you uh, might remember. Uh, Graham Taylor was uh, formerly the England manager. Uh, I didn't know this, but he had a very successful club career, actually. He was a pretty good manager uh, when all is uh, said and done. The thing that he's most remembered for, though, is not his uh, managerial career, however glittering it might have been. He's remembered above all because he participated in a groundbreaking, behind-the-scenes documentary about the highs and lows of being uh, England's manager. Uh, We are quite familiar with our day and age, aren't we, with sort of reality TV, these sort of uh, ideas. But but, but, um, it it was quite a groundbreaking documentary in its time. And it's probably fair to say that um, Graham Taylor didn't come off particularly well uh, in that documentary. It's probably available on YouTube if you want to go and watch it. Uh, It is, at times, absolutely excruciating viewing. As you see, uh, this guy just sort of watching the game and seemingly being completely out of control. Uh, it's, uh, it's worth looking at. There's something about getting a glimpse inside somebody's private life uh, which is appealing. Uh, there's particular pleasure in taking a glimpse inside someone's private life if there's a perception that the public and the private don't quite manage to uh, match up. Uh, there's, there's nothing that pleases the media more than a uh, microphone that's accidentally been uh, left on or a kind of, you know, leaked uh, tape somewhere. Uh, you might remember a, a few years ago, uh, pro- then-Prime Minister Gordon Brown's infamous encounter with uh, that lady on the campaign trail. I think she was a Gillian Duffy, I think, in Rochdale. Uh, all smiles for the camera and uh, nice cheesy handshakes, etc., etc. As soon as he gets in the car, he's still wearing a Sky TV microphone, that bigoted woman. And, of course, all hell breaks loose. And uh, some, if you believe some commentators that lost in the election, who knows? We don't know. Uh, well, if you've been with us uh, for the last few weeks, uh, you've been, we've been seeing kind of Micah in his public life. Uh, Micah has been fearlessly denouncing uh, the sins of uh, God's people. Uh, he's been warning them that uh, they're on the wrong path and that if they don't sort themselves out, God is going to come and it's not going to be pleasant. But I wonder what the prophet is really thinking. Uh, It seems to me it's very easy to uh, be one person in public and somebody else in private. Maybe this is all just a big kind of show of emotion. Maybe he's just trying to make a name for himself. Maybe he's trying to get some headlines, uh, a bit of uh, airtime. Who knows? 
What does he really think? Does he really care about the state of God's people? Or is he just out to uh, shock them uh, with some threats? Uh, Well, this week, the perspective changes in Micah because we get a glimpse at Micah's private life. We we get a a view inside what he really thinks about uh, God's people and uh, where they're going. And it's not a performance at all. The last few weeks, actually, have been uh, the, the, the outworking of a man who is walking with God and is desperately, desperately saddened by what he sees. He's walking among a people who have completely deserted the Lord their God. They've run away from him, even though he has been faithful to them and he's called them to serve him. But what does it look like to walk among a people who have run away from God? What does it look like to walk among them? What does it look like ourselves to be those who are seeking to live for God in the midst of such a corrupt people? Uh, Those are the questions that Micah is asking uh, this evening, and I want to have a look at them. I think Micah gives us three signs of a culture on the run from God, and then he closes with his own response, and that's what we're going to do this evening. Let's have a look at the uh, signs of a culture on the run from God. Uh, The first sign that we have is this. There will be corruption, corruption in the city, verses 1 through to 3. Uh, Micah's opening words, I think, should should dispel any doubts we might have that he is somebody who doesn't care. He loves his people, and he's absolutely heartbroken at the way in which they're walking. He starts, doesn't he, what misery uh, is mine. Uh, That word uh, misery is is not the the normal Hebrew word for for woe or for misery. It's a kind of special word. It's a really, really intense, gut-wrenching pain that he is feeling over the people of God. He is somebody who is completely overwhelmed by the sights uh, that he sees before him. In fact, he's almost broken, I think, by, uh, by what he sees. I think there's a, a lesson for us there, isn't there? We've, we've noticed this before as we've been going through Micah, uh, of just the, the danger that there is, of us as Christians, I think, of almost becoming apathetic to what we see outside. Yes, we see a world on the run from God, and, and there's a danger that we can almost just get hardened to it. It seems so bad, it seems so desperate. Well, what can we do about it? And we shrug our shoulders. Uh, That's not Micah's response. Uh, Micah's response is to shed tears over the state of the world that he sees. Well, what state were God's people in? Well, we can have a a look as we we, we see the picture that Micah paints for us. Uh, He compares himself to to somebody walking through a, a vineyard at harvest time. Uh, looking out for kind of uh, signs of life, ripe fruit to pick, to to enjoy, uh, fruit that's ready uh, for him to eat. But unfortunately, what does he see? There's nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing to see, nothing to pick. There's no cluster of grapes to eat, he says. Uh, There's none of the early figs that I'm looking for. The vineyard is completely barren. There's nothing there. Uh, sadly, if you know your Bible, you might recognize that picture of a barren vineyard. Uh, it's uh, one that the prophets uh, often use in the Old Testament. And Jesus himself actually picked up on it a number of times in his own teaching. 
uh, the picture of Israel as a vineyard is, is, is a very familiar one in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, the idea of the vine is, is so, um, was, was so kind of uh, important to the people of Israel that they even had a picture of a vine on their coinage, I think, and there was a vine on the, uh, on the, Old Test- on the temple as well. The problem is that every time the Bible talks about God's people as a vineyard, it talks about them as an unfruitful vineyard. <laughs> every time God went to look for them, for the fruit that they should have been showing, uh, there was nothing uh, to see. And that's exactly what Micah says here. The people of Israel, they are an unfruitful vineyard. They failed to produce the crop that God uh, expected of them. Well, the problem is even uh, brought into sharp focus uh, even more when we consider what he says in verse 2. And it's a pretty damning assessment, isn't it, of God's people. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Here is Micah's conclusion as he walks through the city of Jerusalem, as he uh, turns his eyes upon what he sees. There's not even one upright person. No one who follows God. Not a single person loves God and seeks to walk in his ways. Wickedness is endemic. Sin is rife. Uh, The whole fabric of life is tearing apart in front of his eyes. We can see just quite how bad it's got, just quite how it's unraveling, when we we see what Micah describes. And again, it's a a horrendous description, isn't it? Uh, Verse 2 again. He says, everyone lies in wait to shed blood, They hunt each other with nets. Uh, Both their hands are skilled in doing evil. Uh, We shouldn't necessarily see that Micah is saying that uh, there's sort of uh, people killing each other on the streets necessarily. I think it's a depiction of what's inside their hearts. He knows that they hate each other deep down. If they had the opportunity, then they would be killing each other at each other's throats. These are people who are almost skilled at doing evil. Uh, They're adept at wickedness. Well, where does this all come from? Well, Micah points the finger very, very firmly at the city's leadership. They are utterly corrupt, he says. Uh, we carry on, verse 3. He tells us the, uh, the ruler demands uh, gifts, that the judge accepts bribes, the powerful dictate what they desire. Uh, all of them conspire uh, together. Uh, bribery and backhanders have become the way of life among God's people. Uh, the rulers are just making decisions uh, in favor of whoever sweetens them up rather than uh, what is right. Uh, justice has completely disappeared. Uh, you go to the courts, uh, you will uh, seek in vain for justice. The only thing that matters in deciding whether the judge uh, returns a verdict is on who's paid him the most. The determining factor here is no longer truth, but money. Uh, the powerful, Micah says, have got no trouble getting what they want. Regardless of what that means for everybody else at the bottom of society, they just trample over them. Who who cares? It is top-level corruption, and it's filtered down from the top all the way down, through God's people to the bottom. Well, what can we say? Uh, Sadly, corruption is not only confined to the leadership in Micah's day, is it? I was reading a, a story just this uh, week of a, uh, a lawyer in the United States uh, who was found guilty of bribing the courts in his particular area of the United States. Uh, no wonder he had such a great uh, win, win race in the courts. Uh, he was bribing them, buying them off. This was uh, only a few years ago. Uh, I'm uh, told that uh, since 1995, there's something called the Corruption Perceptions Index, 
which is maintained by a sort of uh, NGO, an uh, independent body, which seeks to annually rank world nations according to the extent that power is, is misused for private benefit. It tries to kind of measure corruption across the world. Uh, I was saddened to realize that neither the UK or, nor the US make it into the top 10 least corrupt nations. We think we're pretty good, don't we, I reckon, in this country? <laughs> not according to this index. <laughs> we're better than some, that's true. But things are not perfect. And we shouldn't be surprised at that, actually, should we? Uh, because if, if a nation turns its back on God, then inevitably, corruption will increase. One of the other prophets, uh, Jeremiah, uh, warns us that the heart, the human heart, is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful. If we won't listen to God, then we will listen to our hearts, and our hearts are deceitful. They tell us lies. They point us and then direct us to the wrong things. When we follow our hearts, corruption and deceit will sadly all too often be the result. That's the first sign Micah sees, uh, corruption in the city. What's the second? He says it's this. He sees confusion among the leadership, confusion among the leadership. Uh, we've seen that the leaders are uh, corrupt, uh, that they are taking backhanders uh, all the time. But all of a sudden, his tone uh, changes and his direction changes, doesn't it? Uh, so he says, verse 4, the best of them is like a briar, the most upright worse than a thorn hedge. Uh, the day God visits you has come, the day your watchman sounds the alarm. Well, in ancient times, every uh, city would appoint watchmen or sentinels to keep a lookout from the city walls. Uh, their job was to give warning of approaching danger. Uh, and several times in the Old Testament, uh, God's prophets are described as being like watchmen for the people of God. Uh, they're there to look outwards for threats from outside, but also to look inwards uh, for those times, those inward threats, those times when the people of God are failing to listen to God's words and do what he expects of them. And repeatedly, there's a picture that builds through the Old Testament from these spiritual watchmen. And it's a warning that, that one day God was going to visit his people and intervene in judgment. If they didn't sort things out, if they didn't return to God, then there would be consequences. And Micah's dramatic announcement to God's people here is that that day has now arrived. It's been in the diary, you've had the warning. And it's now arrived. Uh, it's an actual event. Well, to talk about God visiting his people uh, might sound as if it's kind of like a friendly social call, you know, God popping by for, for tea or something like that. Uh, that's not really the picture, actually, that Micah paints for us here. It, it's much more like a boss coming to uh, visit the workplace and carry out an audit. Uh, there's performance targets, and uh, if his people haven't uh, matched up to it, then there will be consequences. Uh, the uh, English Standard Version, I think, captures it really well. It, it describes uh, it as being uh, the day of punishment. Well, we might hope that when God visits, it would be a day of salvation, a day of great joy. And of course, in one sense, it is that. But actually, for Micah, and for the people of God here, it's not to be. It's going to be a day of punishment, a day of facing the consequences for rejecting God. Well, what will the sign be that God has arrived? How will we know that that has happened? Well, Micah's description that sums things up is that it will be a day of confusion. 
verse 4. Uh, now is the time or day of your confusion. Uh, the English word confusion doesn't really quite capture it here. It's not just a sense of being a bit muddled. There's actually a sense of fear and terror as well here. And that follows, really. There might well be fear, because things have gone desperately, desperately wrong uh, here. Uh, God's people have completely wandered away from him. Uh, they are right to fear what he has to say. But there will be confusion, of course, as well. Because when people are face to face with God, the one who they've continually rejected, the one who they've ignored, uh, the one who has complete authority and who they can't buy off with a bribe, they won't know what to say, will they? There can't be any more excuses. There's no more backhanders. There's no more uh, lording it over those people who you've oppressed when the uh, Lord of Lords and the King of Kings returns in his uh, mighty power. All those things that have become acceptable for God's people that will no longer be acceptable. They won't know what to do. They will simply be confused. How has this happened? How has it got uh, to this? Uh, I was thinking about this this week um, when uh, I was preparing this. I can remember a time when I was at school and um, I was doing something I shouldn't do. I was in the form room at school and I was playing cricket indoors uh, with some friends. I was very pleased. I hit a lovely shot and it went straight up into the ceiling and it smashed a kind of fluorescent light tube completely and it went everywhere. Uh, I thought that I could, uh, if I sort of got a dustpan and brush out and uh, brushed it all up, it would, uh, <laughs> I would get away with it. Uh, just as I was uh, brushing it up, my form tutor walked in and there was no hiding it. I had to come clean and accept what I'd done and uh, there was a bit of a nasty punishment uh, to come with it. And I was reminded of that when I saw, when I was reading this. Uh, it's easy to think that, uh, you know, we're fine. Uh, God's never going to come back. He doesn't really care what we're doing. We can just do what uh, we want. It might seem rather remote, rather distant. But the Bible does promise us that one day God will visit us in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. He will come back. And I think the question that Micah poses for us here is a very, very simple one, but it's a very challenging one. Will we be ready? Will we be ready when he does? He will come. There's no doubt about it. The Bible promises that he will. Some people will scoff and say, well, it's been 2,000 years since he, uh, since he came. What's happened to him? Is he, is he lazy? Is he asleep? Does he really exist? Uh, no, the Bible tells us that actually the reason that Jesus hasn't returned is because God is merciful and kind, and he's giving as many people as possible a chance to return to him because he loves them, and he does not want it to be a day of punishment for those who have rejected him. But the question is, will we be ready? Will we be ready? If the Lord Jesus returned this evening, he may well do. Would we be ready for him? I, I fear that for all too many people, uh, when Jesus returns, their reaction will be exactly the same as these people here. One of confusion. The Bible says that when the Lord Jesus comes, it will be the, uh, like a thief in, in, in coming in the night. You wouldn't expect it. They will be confused. They'll be confused because they never listened to the warnings that were given. They'll be confused because they just never expected it. They never thought it was going to happen. They'll be confused because actually, worst of all, when they find themselves in front of the Lord Jesus, they will have absolutely nothing to say. Are we ready for when our Lord returns? Uh, Micah says that if we're, if we're not, then confusion will be the response. 
let's look thirdly. We've had, uh, we've had the uh, corruption, we've had confusion. Uh, lastly, Micah says that one sign of uh, people running away from God is we will see conflict, and conflict particularly in home and family life. Uh, some of you might remember uh, comedian Les Dawson. He was slightly before my time, but he was famous for telling uh, mother-in-law jokes, jokes about his mother-in-law. Here's one, a sample one for you to lighten the mood. He said, I haven't spoken to my mother-in-law for two years. Uh, we haven't quarreled. It's just that she's never stopped talking. There you go. It's not true about my mother-in-law. I must uh, hasten to add in case she ever listens to this tape. Uh, we can laugh about those kind of jokes, can't we? But, but the sad truth is that actually, uh, all too often, families are in conflict, aren't they? Uh, they are divided. I can remember not all that long ago doing a funeral for a family. They weren't a family from Holy Trinity. They were living in Norwich. Uh, amazingly, the family were completely divided uh, into two halves over some, um, some sort of uh, argument that they'd had 25 years ago one Christmas. Nobody could even really remember what it was actually about, but they hadn't spoken to each other. For, for 25 years, and when they turned up at the, the uh, crematorium, they sat on opposite sides and would completely refuse to interact uh, with one another. Uh, all too often, families are divided and in conflict. And Micah says, again, we, we shouldn't be surprised at that, uh, because one of the signs of a culture running away from God is that the home will be divided. Families uh, will be at loggerheads with each other. Uh, he warns us here, doesn't he, verse 5, he says, do not put trust in a neighbor, put no confidence in a friend, uh, even with the woman who lies in your embrace, even, even with your wife, guard the words of your lips. A son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. Those whom we should be able to trust our closest friends, the people we uh, live with next door, our neighbours, our friends, our colleagues, our family members, our, our sons, our daughters, our spouses. He says we won't be able to trust. They'll stab us in their back, in the back. Children will hold uh, parents in contempt. Marriages uh, will break down. This is the consequence of living in a world on the run from God. I was amazed just this week, uh, according to illicitencounters.com, which boasts of being the UK's leading dating website for married people, work that one out, uh, over 100,000 new members joined in 2016. And that is sad, isn't it? 100,000 people in a committed married relationship seeking out another partner. But we shouldn't be surprised, Micah says. These are the consequences when the world turns its back on God. It turns its back on what God says makes for human flourishing and the bedrock of society. We get complete social breakdown. If we ignore God and his ways, then things all go wrong. Uh, just yesterday, I was uh, building a flat-packed bed for Timothy, our son. He's uh, grown up his cot, and I had to build a new cot, uh, cot bed for him. Uh, and inevitably, you start these things, and if you've ever built flat-packed furniture, you'll you know what I mean. You get this complicated list of instructions, and the temptation, if you're a man at least, is to kind of ignore them and think you know what you're doing. Uh, I started that and then realised I'd made some mistakes, had to unscrew lots and go back again. And I was thinking about it. It's like that in the spiritual realm as well, isn't it? If we ignore our maker's instructions, uh, then things will only ever uh, go wrong. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised that life is broken. People get hurt, marriages break down, uh, families divide. Because if we ignore God, if we refuse to listen to what he has to say, then we'll only ever be disappointed. Well, how should we 
as Christians live in that sort of world? How should we respond to what we see? Well, I don't know about you, but I think for me, so often when it appears as though evil is winning and goodness and Christianity is on the retreat, uh, the temptation is to despair or to doubt. I was finding that this week, just as we saw uh, Donald Trump being uh, inaugurated as, uh, as the President of the United States. Uh, how do we get to this situation? Uh, what does, uh, where, is, where is God? Uh, what is he doing? We can start to despair, can't we, that things will ever get better. Maybe they'll just get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Maybe we can doubt whether there really is a God out there who cares about us and uh, who uh, wants to, uh, uh, is at work in, his li- in, in life. What does it look like to live in a world where autumn seems to be turning to winter? Well, Micah can't speak for everybody, I'm sure, but he can speak for himself. And what does he say his response is? Verse 7. He says, as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Saviour. I watch in hope. I wait for God, my Saviour. What a declaration of confidence. How can he be so confident in the face of such rampant evil? Well, it's this. He says, my God will hear me. He knows God. He has a relationship with him. He knows that God is a God who hears his people's prayers. He doesn't forget his promises. He's not deaf to uh, their cries. He is a God who listens to our prayers. And he promises that he will act to deliver his people. We've said that one day the Lord Jesus will return. Yes, he will return. For some, that will be a dreadful day. But for those who love him, that will be a wonderful day. Uh, He will come back to deliver his people from the wickedness of this world, to uh, restore it to how it was meant to be. That's Micah's confidence. Of course, for Micah, he was looking forward to the Lord Jesus' first coming. And, of course, God kept his promise. Because uh, uh, several centuries later, uh, the Lord Jesus came, first of all, to die that death on the cross uh, for sin. The death that God's people never deserved uh, for him to die. They deserved to face it themselves, but God, uh, in the person of the Lord Jesus, uh, took it on their behalf. And all of it was in fulfillment of his promise. And we can be confident that he will uh, hear our prayers, he keeps his promises, and he will yet again come to visit his people, to gather them to himself. This is what the prophet really thinks. He is sad sorrow as he uh, sees a world running away from God and yet he's confident when he trusts in that same God and waits and watches for him to come and act. Let's pray that we'd be the same, shall we? Well, God, we do look at our world and we are tempted to despair at what we see. We do see a world on the run from you. We see people who claim to be yours, who do not love you and do not follow you in your ways. And we're sorry for the times when we have been tempted to give up. We've been tempted to despair. Maybe we've been tempted simply to wonder if you really care, if you really do have a plan, if you really will come back. We thank you, Lord, for Micah's confidence. Thank you for his confidence that he watches in hope for the Lord. His confidence that you do hear our prayer. And we pray for us this evening that you would give us that same confidence. We pray that when we're tempted to despair, we would remember your promises. 
We pray that we would lift our eyes to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, we pray, for your glory's sake. Amen. We continue in prayer.